coming to you live from my desk in SoCal. This will be episode four. I'm probably um, going to run into episode five. The topic this evening, today, this episode, it's a big topic, very current, affects everybody. No, not just a few, everybody. Not you, you, got a hand up over there, doesn't affect you. Yeah, it does affect you. Affects you, your children, your brother, your sister, your mom. What am I talking about? We're talking about diseases, infections. Stated before in a previous podcast, I have 30 years experience as a physician treating sick people and well people. And the current rage is the coronavirus. We'll get to that later because the numbers keep changing, who you read, when you read. But I want to give you an overview of just what happens in immunizations. Immunizations happen when people are cognizant of the disease processes that are affecting their loved ones. So back when I grew up in the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, we saw mumps, I had mumps. If you're a woman, your ovaries swell up. If you're a man, your testicles swell up. Your parotid glands swell up. You come in looking like a chipmunk with your ears pointed to the sky, your earlobes pointed to the sky, and your parotid glands, and you've got a high fever. That's mumps. I also had measles, but I didn't have it as a child. I had it when I was just out of residency after spending three years in pre-med, four years a bachelor's, four years in medical school, one year internship, three years residency. I was out in practice and doing my thing. And I had a patient, came in with a high fever. I took my otoscope flashlight, tongue blade, I looked in for coplic spots, which is a telltale sign of measles. It's on the lower second molar. And bingo, he had it. And then he coughed. I remember saying to him, you have measles, and I've had an immunization against measles. 14 days later, I was in the ICU. Had 107 temperature. I was in a coma for two and a half weeks. And getting back to the spiritual aspects of my travel through this galaxy. I was laying on a bed of ice, naked. These are nurses that I worked with. And I was in and out of consciousness, but mostly unconscious. They called my wife, they told her to come down, had a girl having her fifth birthday party. My sons were 14, 9, 10, 5. And they said, you better come down now. He's not going to make it through the night. 
My wife went down. She came to my bedside. All the normal questions. Can't we get them helicopter out of here to a bigger center? Can't we? If we move him, he'll die. I had broken out in a rash from the top of my head to the tips of my toes. It was a desquamation type of rash, meaning it's red, scaly, and your skin comes off. Looks like someone dipped you in a deep fry. I contracted a secondary pneumonia, a pleural effusion, and I was dying because someone didn't get immunized. Some parent somewhere decided that they're going to read a totally flawed book that came out around 1998 and listened to the previous 16 years before 1982 when WRC TV in Washington said the DPT diphtheria, pertussis, and tetanus would cause brain damage and seizures and delayed mental uh, development with no, with no evidence, no science, no science. That caused a huge drop in people getting the DPT. Then we had another drop in the MMR when it was linked to autism. So now we have the DPT and the MMR, measles, mumps, rubella. So in my case, I lay on that ice. Certainly wasn't thinking about anybody that didn't get a vaccine. I was hanging between life and death. And then my wife started yelling at me. She said, get back here. Don't leave me. She's crying. And at that time, believe it or not, I wasn't in my body and I wasn't in pain. I didn't have hot or cold, but I was above my body. I could see my body. I could see the ice. I could see the nurse. I could see my wife and she's down there yelling at me. And I'm in a location above how far I don't know. A feeling of complete peace. I didn't feel like I had to make any decisions. I didn't feel like I was in control. And those aren't even good words to describe what I felt. Totally at peace, totally awake, totally conscious. I did not lose consciousness in that state. I saw her yelling, crying, and without my wanting to go back, considering my children, none of that. Whatever powers took me out, put me back in. Then I felt the ice and the heat and the 107 temperature. And you said, you can't have 107 temperature. Well, you're right. And survived, you're probably right. That's probably why I was leaving. It took me 10 years after I recuperated another three weeks in the hospital, I lost 35 pounds. My daughter couldn't look at me. I was gaunt. 
She was so scared of me. She saw me in the hospital with tubes and wires and putting wires in my chest and drawing fluid out from the pleural effusion, putting wires into my heart to monitor. And these are all my colleagues. These are all the doctors I know and I've worked with for the first two years out of residency. It took me 10 years driving southbound on the 15 freeway. I can always tell you where it was at night when I just my wife and I are in the car. And I said to her, how did you know? How did I know what? She had no idea what I was talking about. I said, how did you know that terrible night you came to the hospital that I was leaving you? Were you crying out? Yes. What were you saying? I was telling you not to leave. I had three children. Don't leave me with your children. I begged you. I begged you. I begged you. I said, but how did you know I was leaving you? And she says, I could feel you leaving. Remember we talked before about the spirit and the body? And, and the body runs when the spirit is in it. And the body can't run when there's no spirit in it. So my body, physical body, was dying. And the manual says to be absence of the body is to be present. And be in his presence. And that's where I was. But I got returned. Her petitions, I don't know. I'll find out someday. But that was all caused by someone not getting their child a measles mumps rubella. Am I mad? It was a very grueling recovery and sickness. Why didn't I have immunity? Because whoever gave me my MMR shot when I was a kid, either didn't do it right, didn't mix it right, it was outdated, or didn't give it to me at all, but marked it down. Sometimes your body won't make immunities to it. So what do we mean about immunities and immunity levels and antibody levels? Very simple. There's, there's a bug. Let's call it pertussis. That's a 100-day cough. It's a bad cough, bad sickness. If I give you a little bit of that pertussis bacterium in a small quantity, and I charge the proteins in your body to make antibodies against that virus, they will remember that. They'll remember the coating, they'll remember the bug, and when you get sick, those antibodies come out and you don't get sick or you'll get a subclinical infection. Vaccines have been one of the greatest and most effective public health inventions, preventing mortality and morbidity of, of infectious disease that's ever happened. Started back in the 1800s with smallpox.
You know that smallpox is all but eradicated? We don't give smallpox vaccine anymore. Why not? Because enough people took the vaccine that there was no more host that they could live in to go to the other host. You're the host. You're hosting a party. You're hosting the bacteria, the virus. And it needs hosts to jump from one host to the next to keep going. And if you have everybody in a world immunized against smallpox, and I think there's still a few pockets that are in Africa, Indonesia, Pakistan, in India, that have small pockets of smallpox. That's a double. It's a double double. But in percentage wise, it's eradicated. We don't give smallpox vaccine. It's gone. So let me tell you what happens with the anti-vaccine crowd. They have their child. They love their child. They hear all this stuff. They go on the internet, which makes it worse because people can print anything. Any Anybody can print anything, even doctors. And they hear about a preservative. And that preservative is supposed to be the bad thing. Um, Zimbrasol is orthomestrosol is really a mercury product but it's not the methyl mercury that i studied at ucl at ucla at the neuropsychiatric institute for two years which sounds great i was a very low very low on the rung of um, investigators, but we we're investigating methylmercury uh, on the brain. So we would chop up brains and put them in and make synaptosomes, which are little tiny synapses between the pre and post synaptic cleft where you, billions of your neurons go and we could tell how fast something would be uptaken. But that was methylmercury. That was a very toxic mercury. The Marisol is something that has ethyl mercury and it has very little quantities. And the reason it's there is because if you have a single vial of vaccine and you, you have a nurse or an MA or a doctor stick a sterile needle into that single vial and draw one vial out and put it into the child or whoever they're immunizing, the chance of infection is very low. Remember, they put your roll up your shirt and then you put some alcohol on your shirt that kills the bugs on the outside. They take the needle out of a sterile sleeve, get the syringe that's sterile in the package, they put them together, they puncture the, open the vial, put alcohol on top of the vial, and they inject this. And if one-time injection, chance of infection is close to zero. But they have multi injection vials, meaning you take many, many vials of syringes out of that one jar. So it might be a 10 um, vial injection. So if I need 0.5 cc's and um, per injection, and I have 10 cc's, I have 20 shots. So 
every time that needle goes back in there and back out, you have a possibility of contaminating the rest of the stuff for the next guy down the line. And that's why that preservative or that antiseptic is in there. But it was pulled and it was reduced, but just because of the fear of the people. It had no scientific proof. Um, it didn't cause autism. And I come from a special place and I don't throw it out flippantly. My brother, whom I grew up with, was a special needs child. He was born perfectly well. He was two years old, chubby and beautiful. And during World War II, there was a short of antibiotics. There was a short of everything. And he got very sick. He ran a high fever. Was it a virus? I don't know. Was it a bacteria? I don't know. I was too young. But it killed his brain. And he became paralyzed on the left side. It made his IQ go to the maximum of a seven-year-old. And he lived to 63. And at first, we would take him in to restaurants. And at that time, there was a very famous cowboy called Roy Rogers. And we lived in Encino at that time, and Roy Rogers lived near there. So he would let these special kids come over and swim in his pool. And my brother, even with his reduced mental capacity, saw a hero in his life. And he decided in his mind that he was going to become the next Roy Rogers. So as long as I can remember, he had cowboy boots on, he had fringe on his shirt, cowboy hat in his, ha- in his, ha- on his head. And he would tell you, when, 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 Roy, when Roy dies, uh, I, I, I'm going to be the next Roy Rogers. I say, you bet you, Roger, you are. So my mother, the biggest advocate of any disabled child when I was growing up, would let him stand in front of our house. We'd take him home. He lived at home until he was about 9 or 10 or 12. Then he went to an institution, which is a cruel, ugly, jail-like place up in Pomona, California called Lanterman now. But she, she would let him stand outside. Now, remember, he had epilepsy. He had, he had retardation. He, his whole left side didn't work, so he, he walked with a limp and a brace. And the neighbor kids would come down and say, there's a monster in front of Dave's house. And I'd run home crying, run in the door, ashamed, yell at my mom, what are you doing letting Roger outside? She goes, why can't he go outside? Well, the kids are making fun of him. Well, so what? Nor let's, like, deal with it. Grow up there. So, the last time, and we do this all the time, my mother would say, let's take Roger. Where do you want to go, Roger? I want to a house of pancakes. Okay. So, I'm hoping, is there a drive through can we stay in the car this time? Is there a drive-through, Mom? Can we just all stay in the car? No. We all walk in. 
Roger's in the lead and my dad, my mom, my sister and me. And he's got his cowboy shirt on. He has fallen on his face so many times from seizures. Tonic, clonic, terrible seizures. So many sutures that his face is disfigured. So here, all these fine church going people on Sunday are in house pancakes, having their pancakes, and then walks this crew with this cowboy dude that's not right. And look right, and walk right, and talk right. Get him out. We don't want him here. Those are all the eyeballs looking at me and my mom. And at that time, and these are things I can't say that I wouldn't on the air or on a podcast, but that was a turning point for me. And I got angry inside and I go, that's my brother. You're looking at big turning point in my life. Instead of being ashamed of him, I loved him. And I loved him all the way till he's 63 until he passed away. Vaccines are something that have touched my life twice. And although I'm passionate, I'm not ideological about it. I'm not dogmatic about it. And as soon as I calm down, I'm going to run you through the natural courses of a vaccine. Vaccine course and I'm reading from a chart, and I want to give credit for the chart by a doctor named Robert Chan. And it's really weird, but I did train a Dr. Chan, and it was the same guy. It probably could be because this guy was very, very smart. He looked at the history of vaccinations, and what we call VPDs are vaccine preventable diseases. So what you have in a population is you have a disease. How many that are 35 or younger know of anybody that died of polio? Measles, meningitis, pertussis, diphtheria, tetanus. Anybody? Probably not. But in my life, I saw a lot. I had mumps. I had chickenpox. I had measles when I was 37 years old. Almost killed me. My wife had chickenpox at 15. I worked at USC County Hospital Pediatrics. We had babies come in, blue babies all the time. They were septic and meningitis. from a very, either bacteria or virus. Sometimes it was meningococcal meningitis, and they would die right in front of us. When you're respirating a six-month-old or a four-month-old or a two-month-old baby with meningitis, and that is going to their brain and their bloodstream, they're toxic, they turn blue, and they die in front of you. It's a horrible, horrible experience. And you're powerless to do anything. Some of the meningitis was caused by what used to be thought a virus. It's called Haemophilus influenza type B or Hib. 
And Hib, I think it was discovered in the 1800s or late or early 1900s. And it wasn't until 1933 that we figured out that it's not a virus and they were treating it all wrong. And it was a bacteria. So when I started practice, there was no Hib vaccine. I saw earaches in kids, in pediatric population, three times a day, every day, all the time. Some chronic, my own children had it, chronic. They put them on suppression therapy, they put them on more antibiotics. When the Hib vaccine came out and we started giving it to kids at two, four, six years of age, and they got their four doses of Hib. I have not seen a child earache or don't see them probably one every four months when I was seeing three a day. It works. Meningitis is down from Hib because Hib does cause meningitis and it causes ear infection. And the ear goes to the mastoid process. That's a little bump behind your ear. The mastoid process goes up into the brain. You have brain abscess and then you have encephalitis and meningitis so vaccines work are there side effects yeah there's side effects and the side effects are you know, swelling you can feel lousy and you have to remember when a drug company tests a vaccine or a drug they give it to 100 people all 100 people different walks of life different times and whatever their experience is they got the shot and they saw aliens. Okay, you got to put it down. You got to put down possible. I'm being a little facetious, but not much. You know, may see aliens. You listen to these drug companies when they tell you about, yeah, you could have tuberculosis, meningitis, you could be dizzy, diarrhea. I mean, who'd ever take it, right? But if you look in context of what it is, is everybody that says anything, the FDA makes you put it down as a possible side effect. So, yeah, I've seen kids with swollen arms and I've seen kids with some kind of light reaction to it, but I've never seen a kid. I'm seeing children of children that I delivered or cared for in the last 30 years, bringing in their children. And I have never seen a birth defect or retardation from a vaccine. Problem is they're given, take, Hepatitis B, that's given in the hospital before the baby goes home, first dose. So they're getting doses of these vaccines very early. And so what happens when the baby's growing up? These are the types of things that are discovered, the autism or any type of speech deformity or any type of other deformity. It just happens to be during the time that they're getting the vaccine. How many people know someone got the flu shot and they go, I got the flu. I'm not taking it because every time I get the flu shot, I get, I get the flu. Well, you didn't get the flu because let's say a cockroach is the bug that causes the flu. We don't take a gigantic cockroach and make them really tiny. And then we inject them in a bunch of cockroaches, inject them into you. And they can crawl around your bloodstream and get you sick. We take a little part of one leg, break it down get the proteins from that organism and we inject you attenuated dose. And from that protein, your body makes an antibody. 
that we talked about, you, you maintain that antibody for a very long time. So now we have antibody vaccines against HPV, and we have antibodies against shingles and pneumonia and Pneumovax 23 and Prevnar 13. And they're, they're good vaccines. Some are for seniors, some are for younger people. Uh, HPV is up now to, I think, uh, 29 to 45, when it was just prior to 12 and younger. So I keep getting back to my chart here, which I'm trying to explain on a one-dimensional podcast in a three-dimensional world. But the first thing is, before vaccines are even invented, you have these terrible diseases, polio, the salt vaccine. I got that when I was like three or four years old. I had to go to a line. They put it in a little sugar cube and you had to put the sugar cube in your mouth. It was an IgA mediated antibody. Very smart. Well, they weren't dumb. They just had to go through the GI tract. So polio was affecting thousands and thousands of Americans all over the world. There's still evidence that USC has a campus in Rancho Los Amigos in Downey, California, and there were all the iron lungs and photos of all the polio kids that couldn't breathe and were crippled. So In 1916, there were 7,000 deaths and 27,000 cases of reported polio in the United States alone. In 1918, the Spanish influenza killed, ready? 500,000 people, a half a million people in the worst single US epidemic. And the Asian flu, Getting closer in 57 killed 70,000 people. The influenza vaccine that we give every year, get your flu shot, get a flu shot, go to the, you know, get a flu shot anywhere. We lose about 25 to 35,000 people that die in the United States alone every year from the flu. But people think it's just, you know, I don't need that. But if you're a carrier of that, you carry that to other people who get it. And may, you may be in great shape, but you're gonna come across people that are in not so good shape. They may have diabetes, hypertension, hypercholesterolemia, heart, heart disease. They may be immunocompromised. They may be a lot of things. So you become a carrier and jumping to the coronavirus right now, what's kind of freaky is that you can have the virus you can shed the virus but not have symptoms up to 14 days that's why they're isolating these people for 14 days so you can be shopping on ilb in the hemorrhoid section uh getting your hemorrhoid uh tux pads and your suppositories when uh someone coughs on that aisle and you don't know where he came from and those isolates stay in the air for up to 45 minutes. That's right. So someone come in, get their hemorrhoid stuff, cough, leave. You come in 15, 20 minutes later, you're sucking down that stuff. So the rule is infection and the exception disease. What do you say? He said the rule is infection. The rule is we get infected all the time. 
we're constantly being infected. We get infected right now. But you have such a tremendous immune system with the aid of your own antibodies that you formed to viruses and bacteria, etc., thousands of them, and the immunized ones that in order to get them, you got to get the disease, right? So good luck with that. You don't want measles in your 30s. Trust me on that one. So we're constantly being invaded with bugs. And and that's why you don't feel like chipper all the day. Sometimes you feel a little dried down. I'm feeling a little, eh, need something coming on. Oh, now I'm better. You're constantly fighting infection. Disease is the exception. When you finally get something that puts you down and puts you in bed and wish you were dead sometimes, um, a good case of influenza, a, a real case of influenza, you're sick. I can see a case of influenza in my office the first time I just lay eyes on them. They, they, they got influenza. They just look sick. They look viremic. They look like the viruses are coming out of their eyes. So back to my chart that I keep getting away from. So beginning, you have all these terrible things. And everybody sees them. Everybody knows somebody. So then you get the onset of vaccination. As the vaccinations increase, these diseases decrease. And as you give hundreds and millions, hundreds of thousands of millions of vaccines, the adverse reaction to the vaccines or the reported adverse reaction to the vaccine, they increase too, because whenever you give you that many, something's going to go wrong. Maybe the needle wasn't sterile. Maybe they got some kind of localized infection. Maybe they got something else. And then there comes a time when whatever generation, I didn't say the millennials. I'm not really sure where that all stops and starts, but let's say the millennials. They've never seen anybody with this stuff. So it's like, what's the big deal? It's a common cold. You know, this is nothing. It's nothing. Well, I just told you what it is. You haven't seen it. You haven't been touched. And no one in your family, your friends, or your in, in your group have been touched or died from this disease. These vaccine preventable diseases. So you go on the internet and you get either some snake oil sold to you by somebody trying to sell a book that says, well, you don't want to give all those immunizations. They've got this in it. And then the attack on the MMR that it was going to cause autism. And that was published in Lancet, which is a pretty good peer review book. That was 1998. And that caused a big uproar. So we already had 1982, the TV, WRC, TV in Washington, D.C., um, call it immunization roulette, something like that. And they say, don't get the DPT because pertussis. Well, this didn't happen in D.C. It happened across the United States. And the country hit biggest by this for whatever reason was Great Britain. They had thousands of cases of pertussis. They couldn't get rid of it. They lost 14 young kids that died of pertussis and um, thousands were infected because they stopped immunizing. 
So then you have this part, this period where you lose confidence. The government, and they're not telling you, and they got this stuff in there, and it's causing autism. And so you get all these goofy stuff that comes out, and they, and they, and they announce it. And Wakefield, the guy who did the 1998 article, his, his article was so poorly researched, and he was also being hired by the defense attorney um, or the plaintiff's attorney uh, suing the, the manufacturer for the autism it gave their son or daughter. And I have great sympathy for any, any child. Autism, the autism spectrum, uh, cerebral palsy, uh, mental retardation from, from fever like my brother, from viruses or bacteria causing meningitis and cephalitis. I have great sympathy in a, in a big place in my heart to take care of them. And I understand it's a hardship and anything that you do to prevent your child from getting that would be what you do, right? But this isn't a cause and effect. And they start taking the mercury out. And again, this is ethyl mercury in very small quantities. We're talking micrograms of the substance in one vaccine. And there's ever been a cause. There's never been a cause and effect. They took it out anyway, and they took it out. So there's three classes. One, one has none, one has a little, one has a little more. Never had a cause. You ever see the GIs guys going down the line? They got guys on each side with these uh, vaccine guns, like wham, 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 wham. And they might get 30, 40, 50 vaccines. They just throw them in there. So the confidence goes down. People don't get their kids immunized. They get exemptions. And pretty soon the state starts getting measles outbreaks, more measles outbreaks. It was one kid with measles in Disneyland a couple of years ago. And from that one kid, it was 134 cases of measles was tracked back epidemiologically to that one child. One kid, very contagious disease. Coronavirus, very contagious disease. We'll work that in. Back to my graph. So now you have a generation that's never seen it. They don't want to give it. It causes all this bad stuff. They can't get So they're going to move to Oregon or Portland or someplace where they, you know, or hide in the herd mentality of just don't give your kids this stuff, but, you know, let the other kids take the chances and then you just hide in their immunity and then you hide around kids that aren't going to get the disease and you won't get it. But if you get it and you come and you give it to somebody else, um, like I got it, um, no muy bueno. So then there comes a time when this disease starts coming back for this generation, whatever generation, and they start seeing cases, terrible cases of meningitis and encephalitis and people, kids dying and babies dying and more ear infections and more pneumonias and and pertussis and the cough and the, everything starts coming back. How smart were we to eradicate smallpox from the world? That's a big accomplishment. And I said, yes, there's a couple pockets, but they're not getting out of there. So then what happens is everyone says, wow, these vaccines work. I've seen firsthand what happens. The risk benefit ratio is in my favor. I'm going for it. So 
the confidence resurfaces, the vaccine preventable disease decreases, and it decreases to a point all the way to the end point where you eradicate it. Yeah, it's all gone. And guess what? The vaccine stopped. The vaccine stops. So unless we keep having these dips in confidence with parents not immunizing their children correctly and not listening and listening to some idiot on you know, TV, I won't say all their names, but I have them written down here. You know, it's like snake oil. You take this vaccine, it's going to cause all these different things. It's like snake oil, you know, it will cure everything. These things cause everything. I've never seen a case, never seen a case. So, and I take it very seriously, and I don't mean to put any pressure on any mom or dad that is worried about that. I take that seriously, too. But I had a family come in and he had three beautiful children and he wanted me to sign an exemption so his kids could go to school and not get the shots. After spending 40 minutes with him, telling him about my brother, telling him about me, telling him about what they do, telling him about my research, you know, it was a whole podcast, you know. Um, and we're at 41 minutes, so I'm going to wrap this up. This is probably going to extend into the next one. So. I'm going to cut it there. Um, my granddaughter said, you know, 50 minutes was too long. <laughs> She's uh, 15. So I promised her I'd, I'd cut them um, before 50 minutes. So we'll leave it there. We'll take it up where we left off. Coronavirus next to come. Uh, I won't be three weeks before my next podcast. I promise. Until then, good night and God bless.